This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, June 13th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what you need to know today. The country's largest Protestant group reckons with sexual abuse. Plus, as gas prices hit $5 a gallon, how to find a little relief. But first, senators reach a gun safety deal. That's today's one big thing. A bipartisan group of senators yesterday announced they've agreed on new legislation to address gun violence. The agreement falls short of what many Democrats in Congress had been hoping for, but still represents the most meaningful bipartisan movement on guns in almost 30 years. Axios congressional reporter Elena Treen is here with more. Hi, Elena. Hi, Nyla. First, what are the big points of this deal? So it's mainly focused on enhanced background checks for those under the age of 21, increased funding for mental health and school safety, and then state grants for red flag laws. And there's a lot of details that I have in my story, but those are the main buckets. The thing that's going to be really tough with this deal, particularly for Democrats, is that it doesn't do what they think is needed to really make an impact on America's gun problem. It doesn't raise the age to buy assault rifles and assault weapons to 21. It doesn't have increased background checks for those under all ages. It's going to be tough, I think, for for Democrats to recognize that this isn't going as far, but it's looked at as progress in the right direction. And how did this deal actually come together and get supports from both sides? So there's a few things on that. One, Chris Murphy, the senator who of course, was really key and has been key in the gun control debate for a decade now. Uh, He's the leader of this group, along with three other senators. They're called the core four, as as we've characterized them. Tom Tillis, a Republican from North Carolina, Senator Kirsten Sinema from Arizona, and John Cornyn of Texas. They are the four that have led this. And they came together Uh, in the aftermath of the Uvalde shooting. And the big thing here is Senator John Cornyn. He's a leader within the Republican Party. He's someone that Mitch McConnell himself gave his blessing to engage in these negotiations. And he's really the one that is expected to pull as many votes as he can from the Republican conference. And that's why we saw uh, this deal was announced. It already has 10 Republican senators in addition to 10 Democratic senators. And that's the number you need. You need 10 Republicans in order to get this bill to 60 votes. And so um, really big for them to, to have that support from the right. Elena, remind us why that 60 vote threshold is so important and what needs to actually happen to get this deal to President Biden's desk. And he did say yesterday he'll sign it. He did. He endorsed it, as did Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. 60 is the number you need to break the filibuster in the Senate. And it's why there's been so much stalled in the past because of that threshold. 
as for what needs to happen in order for this to get signed into law, there's still a lot. It's still just a framework. And I think I spoke with some Republicans who are working on this deal, and they they made that point to me, that it still needs to be translated into legislative text, and it still needs to continue to garner the support from a core group of the right. So there's a lot that still needs to be done in order to get this over the hump. The details are still being worked out. But, Elena, do lawmakers and experts expect this legislation to make a dent in the gun violence problem in this country? It should. Hopefully it will catch, you know, the red flag laws at the state levels, which 19 states already have, catching people who might be flagged to be a potential threat, having these mental health services, and then also the the background checks for those under the age of 21. It will have an impact. But I know that there's so much that Democrats really want, so much more that they would have wanted out of a potential bill, but they have to be realistic. Chris Murphy has said this time and time again. He has to be realistic and work within the boundaries of what's possible, not what they want, and that's what he's doing with this bill. Axios is Elena Treen. Thanks, Elena. Thank you, Nyla. In a moment, we're back with a pivotal meeting this week of Southern Baptists. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Sexual abuse among Southern Baptist churches was widespread and well-known to church leadership for years. It involved hundreds of victims and more than 700 Baptist pastors credibly accused as abusers. That's the conclusion of a devastating 288-page report out recently. Now, as the annual meeting of America's largest evangelical church begins gathering today in Anaheim, California, the big question is, what kind of reform will result? Christianity Today's Kate Shelnut is with us. Hi, Kate. Hi. Kate, Southern Baptist churches don't have a central structure like the Roman Catholic Church does, which has been the explanation for why this abuse may have gone unchecked. How did this report change that idea? I think for a long time, Southern Baptists have known about the issue of abuse, but because each church operates independently. That means they hire their own pastors. They go by essentially their own rules for how they operate other than agreeing to one common statement of faith that people could have seen it as, hey, that pastor is just a rogue exception. That's just kind of one other church. And then leadership could say, we don't have a lot of authority over how churches operate day to day. This report, by showing, one, how much leaders knew and how they were operating against those same principles they were talking about. Basically, survivors had been asking them, hey, can you keep a list in a database of these abusive pastors so that we know not to have them hired in other contexts? And they said, no, no, that would be too much oversight. And yet, we find out with this this report, this investigation that's taken place over the past nine months or so, that they were keeping a list and yet had done nothing to follow up to see if those pastors were out of a context where they could be harming women, children, people of their own congregation, and had just kept the information to themselves. 
This has been such a difficult issue. We've seen very high-profile people citing this as one reason why they're no longer Southern Baptist. I'm thinking of the theologian Dr. Russell Moore or another prominent evangelical, Beth Moore. So what reforms are we expecting this week, and how important do you think this gathering is when you think about the future direction of the Southern Baptist Convention? This is a hugely important annual meeting. I've had multiple people tell me that it might be the most important in the history of the convention, um, which dates back to the Civil War. So some of the ideas are creating a, a new entity, a new body within Southern Baptists to accept reports and have a trauma-informed response to survivors so that they ensure that churches do third-party investigations when pastors are credibly accused. There's a restitution fund that they'd like to set up to help survivors who have had to pay for years and years of counseling. The big sticking point is going to be to what extent churches have oversight of what happens versus a third party, an independent board. One side point that's going to be in a dynamic that comes up, the body that was in charge of the report sent out a tweet for Pride Month. You know, we stand with LGBT. And now there's a campaign within the SBC to discredit the work of this firm because they are LGBT affirming and the Southern Baptist Convention is not. And that's actually going to be, I think, a big sticking point now because we're talking millions of dollars that have already gone into the firm and more that would go into it with the reforms that are enacted. So that'll be another point of debate that's come up over the last like 10 days or so. That's been tricky. Kate Chalnut is a senior news editor for Christianity Today. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. If you're a survivor of sexual abuse in a Southern Baptist church, the convention has an anonymous hotline you can call. The number is 202-864-5578. We'll put that and other resources in our show notes. One final note before we go today. The average price of gas in the U.S. has topped $5 a gallon for the first time. There's no indication we're going to see a drop anytime soon. So Axios reporter Kelly Tycho has laid out some tips for saving at the pump, including loyalty programs, fuel rewards at some grocery chains, and summer promotions. We'll include a link in our show notes for details. And as always, we want to hear from you. How are you coping with skyrocketing gas prices? You can text me at 202-918-4893. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Hey, have you listened to MSNBC's Into America yet? It's a weekly podcast that explores what it means to be Black in America. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Tremaine Lee digs into topics impacting Black Americans, like the toll racism can take on mental health, the fight against fascism, and how history shapes our lives today. Follow Into America wherever you're listening right now.